Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. We want to help every listener to be able to one day stand beside Jesus, look back over his life, and be filled with joy because he stayed focused on what Christ put him on planet Earth to do. Paul said it this way, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of your calling. Today's podcast addresses our first and highest calling, to build and enjoy a love relationship with God himself. Jesus told us the greatest commandment was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This podcast explains why fulfilling this part of our mission is absolutely foundational for the rest of our lives and how to grow to love God well. Thanks for joining us today for season number one, episode number 30 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle, and today's episode is Coming Alive to God's Jealous Love for Us. Through tears, a young husband said to me on one occasion, I don't know why porn has so much control over me. I said, let's talk about that. Growing in sexual purity is more a consequence of changing what your heart loves than changing what your hands do. Real lasting change in battling any sin comes through heart transformation. It is more than just behavior modification. That is why the Ten Commandments begin by addressing our heart's first love. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In case we miss this reference to God's jealousy, Exodus 34, 14 later reiterates, do not worship any other God. For Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. We might be tempted to ask, what is it with God's jealousy? That he won't tolerate rivals? Is this a case of divine insecurity? Why is he so concerned about our worship going to him alone? Why does he have to have a corner on the market? Anyway, isn't jealousy a sin? Well, we use the word jealous in two different ways. We say, I'm jealous that Bill got two Super Bowl tickets on the 50-yard line. In this case, jealous is used as a synonym for envious, and it is not a virtue, but a vice. However, there is a second kind of jealousy that is a virtue, a jealousy that guards the exclusivity of the marriage relationship. When a man standing at the altar says, I do, He is saying no to romantic involvement with every other woman on planet Earth except the woman standing beside him. Husbands and wives give themselves exclusively to each other. They experience a loyalty, passion, commitment, nakedness, vulnerability, intimacy that they share with no other human being. God designed marriage with the principle of exclusiveness at its core. This is the kind of jealousy that we find in the heart of God. J.I. Packer writes, 
Married persons who felt no jealousy at the intrusion of a lover or an adulterer into their home would surely be lacking in moral perception. For the exclusiveness of marriage is the essence of marriage. This sort of jealousy is a positive virtue, for it shows a grasp of the true meaning of the husband-wife relationship, together with a proper zeal to keep it intact. Now, Scripture consistently views God's jealousy as being of this kind, that is, as an aspect of his covenant love for his own people. The marriage bond of exclusiveness must be guarded jealously against the intrusion of anything or anyone who might compete with the loyalty of the husband and wife to each other. In a parallel way, human hearts were created to find their greatest pleasure in an intimate love relationship with God alone, where we feast on his unconditional love for us and where our greatest pleasure is pleasing him. When we set our affections on Christ, we are transformed more and more into his likeness. See 2 Corinthians 3.18. The problem is that false gods find their way into our hearts and steal our affections. Let's think a little bit about this word idol. An idol is not just a statue that is worshipped. It's really anything that claims the power to give you what you want. Success can be an idol. It has the power to give you the prestige you want. Physical attractiveness has the power to get you the security you want in a mate. Popularity can make you feel good about yourself. An idol is something you have started to depend upon to make you feel good, which usurps the place of God in your life. Sometimes what reveals our idols is our anger. For example, anger at all the little things that get in the way of accomplishing my goals shows me that my idol is success. Anger toward a child who's not walking with Christ reveals that the parent's idol might be being respected by his Christian friends. Anger at God when everything in my life goes wrong making my life harder, reveals that maybe comfort is one of my idols. So God's jealousy, his hostility towards any false God that would penetrate my heart and lie to me that my heart needs it, is a wonderful virtue. He loves us too much to tolerate us whoring after gods who promise to make us feel good. Power, prestige, possessions, Position, success, comfort, respect, money, friendships, sexual pleasure. Such gods will enslave us and ultimately fail us. God has designed only one healthy pathway for us to experience these created pleasures without those pleasures consuming us. It is for us to first satisfy our hearts in him. Then God, a loving heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his children, can pour out blessings without them becoming idols in our lives. Psalm 34, 7 says, delight yourself in the Lord 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. So let's examine why delighting our hearts in the Lord, seeking to satisfy them in him, matters. First, because as believers, our affections are not automatically set on enjoying God. Scotty Smith is honest when he writes, how many of us would say that our greatest delight in life comes from a relationship with God? We respect him, we worship him, we read his word, we try to honor him through obedience, but find our most passionate delight in him? You got to be kidding. How can such merriment be expected or generated, not to mention commanded? To delight yourself in the Lord is an action verb. It is something we choose to do. That is to intentionally draw pleasure from our love relationship with God through Christ. It is to continually soak in refreshment by standing often under the shower of God's unconditional love for and delight in us. We don't default to doing this, which puts our hearts at risk. The second reason that intentionality, that is setting our affections on the Lord, matters is because no other being or thing can satisfy the thirst of our soul. David wrote, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Jesus had a very similar message both to the woman at the well. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. And for the crowds in Jerusalem. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. As Jesus explained to his disciples, the Holy Spirit's job is to indwell our hearts, giving us a constant sense of Christ's presence with us. The more we abide in Christ, the more we connect with Christ and fill our hearts with his unconditional love, which makes us less vulnerable to the pull of false gods on our heartstrings. Idols subtly drive us to over-desire, acceptance, respect, the physical pleasure of satisfied appetites, prestige, comfort, feeling justified by our action because we think we need them to be happy. This over-desire is the meaning of the word lust. Piper explains the antidote to such over-desire. He writes, One reason lust reigns in so many is that Christ has so little appeal. You were created to treasure Christ with all your heart, more than you treasure sex or sugar. If you have little taste for Jesus, competing pleasures will triumph. Plead with God for the satisfaction you don't have. Quote Psalm 90:14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Then look, look, look at the most magnificent person in the universe until you see him the way he is. Third, delighting in the Lord matters because no other idol is worthy of our worship. 
The first commandment is saying, don't waste your worship on beings, entities, things that don't deserve your worship. God alone has intrinsic worth. Our English word worship is derived from the word worthiness. God alone is fit to sit on the universe's throne. Human beings do have worth, but it's a derived worth. We bear the image of God. Like a Rembrandt painting, which is valuable because of who painted it, we are valuable because of who created us and because we are, in a sense, his self-portrait, his image bearers. Well, not only is God worthy of our worship because of who he is intrinsically, he is also worthy of our worship because he is our Redeemer. The Ten Commandments passage we looked at doesn't actually begin with the first commandment, but with an important prelude. I am the Lord, which means Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is saying, before I show you how you're designed to live, I want to remind you just who I am. Just a short time ago, you were being abused by your slave masters in Egypt, and you cried out to me. Who sent you Moses? Who convinced Pharaoh to let you go? Who parted the Red Sea? Who drowned the Egyptian army? Who fed you every day in the desert for 40 years? I did that. I set you free from your life of slavery to the tyrant Pharaoh. Baal didn't free you from slavery. Moloch didn't save you from the Egyptians. I did. God's message to us as believers is the same. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of hell, out of slavery to sin. When you were enslaved to sin, you cried out to me in faith, and I sent Christ to redeem you and the Holy Spirit to empower you to overcome sin. Why wouldn't you want to worship me? How could you ever stop being grateful to me? The third reason why God alone is worthy of your worship is that other gods can't produce for you and will destroy you. God alone is to be worshipped, and those who worship idols become like them. In Psalm 115, 3 through 9, we read, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You and I need a God who can speak words of encouragement, guidance, wisdom. We need a God who can see, who sees things as they really are. Do you want a blind God? We need a God who can hear our cry for help when we face trouble, crisis, or tragedy. And if you call out to the wrong God, you won't get any answer. If you make money your God, it can be lost overnight, and you will be consumed by the drive to make more. If you make success your God, two years after you've left your position, half the staff won't remember your name 
and you will live a destructive, driven life of wrong priorities. If you make being respected or liked your God, you will get so busy trying to please others that you will neglect and wound those whose respect and love you most want and need, your family and close friends. So how do we delight ourselves in the Lord as Psalm 37, 4 commands? Notice that the imperative, delight yourself, means to intentionally derive pleasure from your relationship with that person. It is to deliberately choose to find joy from being near to him or her. Here are four practical ideas from the world of relationships. Two with our guy friends, two from the world of romance. Number one, guys most naturally enjoy hanging out when they do things together. Men bond when they work together to achieve the same goal or defeat a common foe. That is one reason why men need to stay focused on their mission. The more I am focused on accomplishing Christ's agenda for my character and each area of my life, the more I will find myself in his presence, leaning on him for help. The pursuit of these common goals for my life through Christ's power alone binds my heart to Christ's heart. Secondly, the more I see who Jesus is, the more I want to follow him as my commander-in-chief. The word in the command to love Jesus with all my heart is agape. This word is more about supreme loyalty, allegiance, than it is about feelings. I believe men have an enormous capacity for loyalty, but they want to follow a leader who is worthy of their full devotion. We want a leader whose character we respect, one who never asks us to do something he hasn't already done, one who leads us on a mission that matters, one who wins our allegiance by his unwavering loyalty to us, one who calls us to sacrifice because the cause is greater than our life. This is a portrait of Jesus. The more it comes into focus, the stronger my allegiance to him will be. The third way to delight my heart in the Lord is from the world of romance, since Christ is our bridegroom. Lovers find pleasure by knowing and enjoying each other. To delight in the Lord is to intentionally praise him for his perfections, the spiritual beauty of who he is, and for the way he has benefited you because of who he is, by giving thanks to him. Number four, lovers find pleasure in being known yet fully loved. The prophet Zephaniah foresaw the day when Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sin would turn God the judge into God the bridegroom. It is our day. From Zephaniah 3, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Scotty Smith zooms in on verse 17, saying, Astonishing, isn't it? Zephaniah states that God is not only with us through his mighty salvation, but that he quintessentially is the great delighter. 
and that his great delight is found in us. And as if that were not enough, Zephaniah goes on to say that God is tender towards us and will quiet our fears and worries with his love, and that in his great delight he rejoices over us with singing. I don't know about you, but I get so consumed with fulfilling my responsibilities and the expectations of others that I don't want to let down. I think I need to hang out more in the presence of one who enjoys me so much that he sings about me, even with all of my warts and ugliness. To summarize this episode, men's ministry is usually about our roles as husbands, fathers, and leaders of our homes and church. But we can't jump past the foundation for the rest of our mission, growing our love relationship with Christ. He himself is a jealous God, insisting that our affections be set upon him first, giving no room to false gods who promise to satisfy our longings. Deepening my love relationship with Christ happens when I, one, focus with Christ on his agenda for my character in life, two, see who Christ is, awakening even deeper respect for my leader, three, intentionally enjoy God by celebrating his perfections and saying thank you to him, four, remembering that despite my inner ugliness, God delights in me. For further prayerful thought, number one, what is most inspiring about God being a jealous God? Number two, what attributes of Jesus make you most want to be totally loyal to him as your commander-in-chief? Next week, we'll focus on our calling to be like Christ. We'll seek to answer two questions. How do I know which Christ-like attitude God's trying to teach me at any given point in time? And how can I get more excited about the painful process of growing into Christ-likeness? For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission to honor Christ with their lives. Mm -hmm.